Shalom and welcome to Shomer Mitzvot, Torah Observant, a series on practical messianic living and apologetics. I'm the author, Torah teacher Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. Torah observance is a matter of the heart. It always has been and always will be. The Torah proper instructed the people of Israel to love Adonai your God with all your heart, with all your being, and with all your resources. This is where Shomer Mitzvot begins, by loving Hashem and accepting Him on His terms. By this, I mean accepting His means of covenant obedience. For today, this means acceptance of Yeshua, His only Son, for Jew and non-Jew alike. Shalom, shalom. You're listening to Exegeting Galatians, a Messianic Jewish commentary. My name is Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. Let's open in prayer. Avinu Malkeinu, our Father, our King, thank you, Lord, for bringing us together. And thank you for filling us with your precious Holy Spirit. Lord, because of your goodness and mercy, you have caused us to come into your presence and to, uh, to know of you and to learn of you and to seek your face. Uh, we know that left to our own devices, Father, we just are rather quite lazy. We don't, we don't pray the way we ought to. We don't study the way we should. We don't press in uh, with, with, with kavanah, as the rabbis say, with, with intentionality the way we should. And so we know that it is the Spirit that intercedes for us and, and helps us to, to pray the way that we uh, uh, really should and giving us that... that um, that audience with with uh, with the Father, thank you, Lord, that um, your Son ever intercedes for us and ever ever lives to to uh, uh, be our High Priest, as we read about in the Book of Hebrews. And we thank you that He's a High Priest who um, can identify with our weaknesses because He is indeed flesh. He He walked in the flesh of humanity. He knows what it's like to suffer. He knows uh, pain. He knows joy. He knows tears. And uh, therefore, he can identify with us, the book of Hebrews tells us. He knows uh, what we know. Um, and yet, he, he was tempted and yet without sin. And so let us ever live like he does. He lives to intercede for us. Let us now live our lives uh, to be ever pleasing to him. Uh, he died for us. Let us live for him, as one songwriter puts it. And so I thank you, Lord, that... Uh, 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 you walk the road that, that we are walking, and, and so you, you're intimate with our pain and our suffering, and so you know when we cry out for healing and for comfort, you know what it's like to feel pain. Uh, thank you, Lord, for uh, bringing us together for another study. Uh, I pray that you'll continue to raise up uh, the students and the families and to give us boldness to witness, give us a, um, a protection from the adversary, uh, give us supernatural um, uh, encounters so that we can meet people and share the good news and uh, this Torah lifestyle that you have drawn us into. I thank you for the blessings that come attached to it. Uh, be with the, uh, me as well as a teacher. Help me to um, recall the things that I've studied this week and I pray that you'll continue to uh, um, uh, protect us as we go throughout the week. And we'll be sure to give you the praise and the glory of Hashem Yeshua. Amen. Well, thank you, everyone, for joining me once again. Uh, it's such a blessing to be with you week by week. 
uh, by Skype. Uh, I, I pray someday that we would be able to meet uh, face-to-face, and I'm really looking forward to that day, I, I, even if it's in the millennium, uh, where we can uh, meet face-to-face and study together and just uh, share with one another, love on one another. But uh, for now, this medium of the internet is okay. It's okay by me if it's okay by you. Let's uh, date stamp our recording today is June the 10th, and this is week 61 of our Exegeting Galatians study. And as I mentioned earlier, my name is Ariel, and I'm a Torah teacher over at Congregation Kehilat Tunava, which is in Thornton, Colorado, in the United States. If you ever get a chance and you're in the area, uh, stop on by during a Shabbat service on Saturday. Um, you're certainly welcome to join us, Jews and Gentiles, loving one another, loving the Lord, and just worshiping Him together. Um, we're a Messianic congregation, and we're slightly charismatic, so that means we're going to uh, jump and shout and dance around, and so uh, just uh, you're welcome to come and join us each week. However, as I like to mention, I'm not there myself. I'm halfway around the world, and I'm pleased to be so. Uh, bringing you this message uh, each week live from South Korea. And you're certainly welcome to join us. If you're listening to this message, not live, but by the internet or by iTunes or something like that, head on over to my website at uh, tetzetorah.com. That's T-E-T-Z-E-T-O-R-A-H.com. And right from the homepage, just click on the Galatians commentary link. And all the information you need to join the study is there. It's free. Uh, all you need is Skype and uh, an internet connection, obviously. And you can follow along with the written notes. There, um, we've, We go through uh, the, the notes just kind of paragraph by paragraph, and we've been doing so for over a year. And I'm, I'm in no hurry to get through it. We're just going to go uh, step by step and kind of take it slowly, digest it a little bit at a time uh, so that we can get the most out of it. And um, we'll finish when we're ready to finish. So... That being said, let's open with some liturgy. If you're with me live in the Skype room tonight, then... um, Oh, by the way, I forgot to mention. If you do join us each week, uh, be sure to set your time for 7 p.m. Central Time. So we go for about mm, 45 minutes or so. 7 p.m. to 7.45 Central Time, so adjust your time zone according to that. And then after the 45-minute teaching, we we in the live chat room, we stick around for another 45 minutes or so, and we just comment on whatever we want to comment on, question and answer, things like that. So um, that QA session at the very end is available only to the live participants. I do not record them, and I do not upload them to iTunes. So if you want to join in on the live study and, and kind of uh, pick the brain of the teacher or... Uh, challenge me with some questions or different viewpoints, things like that, I'm always open to that, then uh, head on out to the Skype session. Okay, let's get started. Um, Those of you who are with me live should be able to see on the screen right now, I've got the traditional Birkat, the Torah pulled up, the blessing over the Torah that you're going to find in any standard Siddur or that you engage in in your local congregations. The English reads, Blessed art thou, Lord, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Please, Lord, our God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouths and in the mouths of all your people, Israel. May we and our offspring and in the offspring of your people, the house of Israel, may we all together know your name and study your Torah for the sake of fulfilling your desire. Blessed are you, Lord, who teaches Torah to his people, Israel. Blessed are you, Lord, 
our God, King of the universe, who chose us from all the nations and gave us the Torah. Blessed are you, Lord, giver of the Torah. May the Lord bless you and keep watch over you. May the Lord make his presence enlighten you, and may he be kind to you. May the Lord bestow favor on you and grant you peace. Now let's scroll up and read the Hebrew of the same blessing there. Uh, the Hebrew reads, Baruch Torah Shalom. All right, let's pick out a passage out of the Apostolic Scriptures, a.k.a. the Brit Chadashah, a.k.a. the New Testament, New Covenant, whatever you want to call it there. Book of Galatians, chapter 3. And since we're studying this section right now, which has this little chiastic structure that I've been um, highlighting, where we've got kind of these mirrored topics on either side of a central topic, then uh, it starts with Galatians 3, I think it's verse 9, and it goes all the way through verse 14, and we're reading out of the ESV, and then we'll read the Greek that follows out of that as well. So, uh, Galatians 3, 8, uh, 9 through 14 reads like this, So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham the man of faith. And I'll just tell you the chiasm, if I remember, in verse 9, it's Abraham, and in verse 14, it's also Abraham. Uh, or we could use blessing, blessing of Abraham, blessing of Abraham, things like that. Uh, then in verse 10, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. And then in verse uh, 13, it's curse of the law as well. So we got curse of the law in, in verse 10, and curse of the law in verse uh, 13. Then in verse 11, it reads, Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. And then it's verse uh, 12 that also has um, live, uh, L-I-V-E. Uh, that's the, the, the central shaft that I'm focusing on. I think I got all of them there. So let's keep reading verse 12. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us as it is written, or for it is written. Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. And then verse 14, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Now let's just read the, um, let's read the SBLGNT, Society of Biblical Literature, Bible Literature, uh, Greek New Testament. Okay, and we'll read the same verses, just 9 through 14. Which is, sorry about that, my screen's moving and I don't want it to move. Okay, let's read those. For those of you who are in the room, I've highlighted in blue there. Okay, starting right here, it reads, Hoste oi ek pistios yulogunti sunto pisto abraham. Verse 10, Hosoi gar ex ergonamu asen hupa 
Katarin Asen Gegraptai Karhati Epikataratas Pas Has Uk Mene Pasentois Gegramnois Ento Biblio Tu Namu Tu Poesai Auta. Verse 11 Hati de en Namo Udes Dekai Utai Para Totheu Delon Hati Ho Dekaias Epistios Zesetai. Verse 12 Ho de Namas Uk Esten Epistios Allah. I'm sorry, Al. There's no A there. Ho poies as auta zesitai in autois. Verse uh, 13. Christas hemas exegorisin ectes kataras um, tunamu. Uh, Genamenas huper hemon kataran hati gegraptai epikataratas pas ho kremamenas epikatulu. And the final verse, verse 14. Hina es ta ethne a eulogia, uh, eulogia to Abraham Genetai, in Christo Iesu hina te Evangelian to Pneumatas, or Pneumatas as some people pronounce it, Labomen Dietes Pistios. Okay, that's going to be the Greek section. Let me turn it back to the ESV in case I need to go back to it. Okay, let's jump into the commentary. Last week we left off. We're in the middle of uh, Galatians 3.11, where we're um, picking apart these two clauses that Paul has uh, given to us, uh, how he says that no one that no one is justified by faith is evident for the righteous shall live by faith. Uh, so we're basically in verse 11. And um, if you recall uh, from my commentary and just from your own notes, um, when when Paul quotes this passage and he and he starts to um, uh, explain his theology and the reason for using this particular passage, give me a moment. I'm pulling up the interlinear so we can see all the words. Um, when he starts uh, uh, picking apart this passage, um, he quotes from the Tanakh, the Old Testament, the Book of Habakkuk, to be sure. And what he does for us is he gives us basically a um, um, his understanding of this phrase, the just shall live by faith, or as we read it uh, so prominently in Romans 1, the righteous shall live by faith. It's the favorite passage of Martin Luther. So Paul quotes it here again in Galatians 3.11, or actually he quotes it first in Galatians, and he's going to go on to quote it again in, in Romans. But the righteous shall live by faith. Now, here's what's uh, important for us to uh, look at as we start picking apart this second clause in my commentary. Um, if you go back and read a few different versions out of the Habakkuk passage, you're going to find a few different ways to render the Hebrew of uh, imunato, which is either faith or faithfulness. And that's the two ways you're going to find it. The righteous shall live by his faith. The righteous shall live by his faithfulness. The just shall live by his faith. The just shall live by his faithfulness. The just shall live by faith. A few different ways. And some people think it is necessary to go with one way or the other when we're talking about this last word in the sentence, faith or faithfulness, the ekpistios. Uh, and um, we're going to start there in my commentary. So we're near the top of, no, I'm sorry, we're, we're right in the middle of the page, right, right around page 115 if you've got the written notes. And we're starting in the paragraph entitled Second Clause, so I can kind of back up a little bit. That's where we left off last week. And I think we're going to finish this week. If I look at the commentary, I've only got two or three paragraphs left for verse 11. It's not a long read. It's kind of technical, but not very long. So I think if I read it all, 
and then uh, maybe then focus on what I want to say. Uh, afterwards, I think we'll probably make it through tonight. Okay. All right, so let me read it, and then maybe go back and tell you what why I wrote it the way I wrote it. Second clause. Quote, this is my commentary. Paul quotes from Habakkuk 2.4 in the second clause to prove that the uh, prove that uh, works of the law will not justify it, that is, save a person. Um, so we're taking this word justify in, in the verse um, uh, as having primarily salvific overtones, that, the, that no one is justified by the law. And we also talked about earlier how that he simply says law. He doesn't really say works of the law. And to be fair, he could mean either the uh, he could mean either a specific set of halacha that that any various one of the Judaisms uh, were were uh, highlighting to um, to uh, what do you say mark out their covenant members. He could be referring to the entire Torah as a whole. And if he is referring to the entire Torah as a whole when he says no one is justified by the law because it is, he doesn't really say. Uh, um, works of law, right? If I go back and look at that, moreover, by the law, hatide en namo, he doesn't say uh, ergon namo here. He simply says the law. If he simply means that no one is justified by the law as a whole, well, then it begs the question to what, uh, at what l relationship level is he referring to? Does he mean mere possession of the law? Does he mean an attempt to keep the whole law like every single commandment? Does he mean an attempt to keep any single commandment, albeit perfectly, uh, does he mean an attempt to uh, keep only half of it? Or, uh, you know, what exactly is he referring to when he simply says law there? So uh, it's, it's, a, it's a good discussion. Nevertheless, we know that whatever he has in mind, um, uh, the, 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 the perfunctory doing of it will never result in salvation. So whether you're doing one of the commandments or whether you're doing ten of them or whether you're doing all of them or whether you're not even trying to do them at all, whether it's just your your belief in the mere possession of it, um, it won't save you. It won't save you. And I believe that what Paul's referring to here is uh, the, um, the Jewish mindset that was kind of centered on this idea of national, uh, a nationality, a, a kind of a group membership a members-only club that was um, uh, defined by God's own election, i.e., um, God singled us out as Jews and gave us Torah, and therefore we call this singling out this this special place in God's uh, family as um, we're going to call this works of the law. And sometimes we're going to call it law, and sometimes call it works of the law. That's the way I understand it. But if you differ with me, that's fine too, because it doesn't really change the argument uh, terribly much. So Paul says it's not the works of the law they're going to justify. Interestingly, as I say in my commentary, many Bible translations use the word faith for the Greek of 311 um, when translating Paul's quote from Habakkuk 2.4. So when Paul says the just shall live by faith, uh, we've got a lot of translations that also say the just shall live by faith, the righteous shall live by faith. However, many of those same uh, translations use faithfulness for their translation from the original Hebrew. And in my footnote, I'm, I highlighted that we've got the NIV, the NLT, the NET, and the GWT, GWT use faithfulness for the Hebrew of Habakkuk 2.4. But if you turn to the New Testament passage for uh, Galatians 2.11, I'm sorry, 3.11 here, n none of those th four use the word faithfulness in the Greek of 2.11. They, they opt over to get faith instead of faithfulness. 
Um, and, you know, we could go back and look at the LXX and see if it actually has faith or faithfulness or see if the Greeks are going to force us into one or the other. But without going on too far into that, uh, Dunn has this to say about this kind of particular, what I call, oddity. Um, he says that the usual understanding of Habakkuk 2.4 out of the Masoretic text, that would be the Hebrew, is uh, which is, will live by his faithfulness, right? If we go back and read the Hebrew of Habakkuk 2.4, then the word rendered faithfulness by some of those translators would be uh, emunato. I'm pulling this from memory. And we're going to look at it a little later on down the list, so I'm not really focusing too much on it right now. It's going to show up again later down below in, in, in 3.12. But um, uh, Dunn goes on to say, it's not necessary to the discussion here in 3.11 to resolve the question of whether Paul intends the by faith part to go with the righteous part or to go with the will live. You understand what I'm saying? Is it that the person um, lives by faith or that they're righteous by faith? Which part is it? And Dunn's going to go on to say that it's not really necessary right now to to uh, to go to to uh, uh, cross that bridge. And, and there's a lot of commentary. Uh, that's been written on whether Paul's trying to attach the hodekaios, uh, the righteous, to the ekpistios, the by faith, or is he trying to attach the zesatai, the will live, to the ekpistios, the by faith? And I'm not going to get into that right now. I, I'll deal a little bit more on that topic when I get down to verse 12. Suffice to say, I just want you to be aware of the fact that there's two different Hebrew words. I'm sorry, there's one Hebrew word that's translated with two different English words, and when we get to the New Testament, we have this one, um, we have this one Greek word, the uh, the uh, ekpistios by faith, which uh, some translate faith and some translate faithfulness. So let's keep going. We're gonna, as I mentioned, we're gonna discuss faith and faithfulness a bit more closely when we examine the second clause of Galatians three twelve below. But for now, the point I want you to notice for the he uh, the uh, Galatians chapter three verse eleven uh, passage, the, the the two clauses is I just want you to know how Paul sets at odds what the influencers of his day, th that would be the Judaizers or those who are towing the traditional uh, uh, popular Jewish party line of his day, they were taking this idea for granted. And that was namely that righteousness, right, the chaos, is grounded in ethnicity and Torah maintenance, the, what I call the works of the law, these two sides of one coin, the 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 being Jewish and the outworking of that that membership that you gained as a Jew. So uh, both of those sides of one coin, I, I think that's what Paul means by works of law. In other words, it's a very narrow reading of this phrase, works of law, or just law itself. Sometimes he uses the word law to refer to works of law. Other times law just means um, under law or, or uh, curse of law or something like that. It's all based on context. So Paul, Paul sets at odds. Right, he takes righteousness and puts on a one side and puts works of law on the other side, and the 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 the, the, the his detractors, his his contemporaries would have put those two together, and Paul does this. He sets them at odds. In other words, he he compare he's he contrasting them for a moment by reminding his readers of what the book of Habakkuk teaches on how the genuinely righteous will live. So Paul uses the scriptures as we should today to counter their his his the Judaisms of his day, their limited nationalistic line of reasoning. I'm on the top of page 116 in my commentary now. They've got this limited way of viewing righteousness, that it is limited only to those who are ethnic covenant members within Israel. And and 
and they even limited it even further, uh, as best as we can tell by the studies that are available to us today, they even limited it even further by saying that it's only available, essentially, this righteousness, uh, that, the, that the kaios or the kaiosune righteousness, uh, it's only available to those who are uh, acting, um, uh, uh, what do we say, obedient uh, covenant members. In other words, those who are slacking off are in the danger of um, being cut off. Uh, excommunicated as it were so you've got to it's not it's not enough what i'm saying is it's not enough just to be a lazy jew um in paul's day you've got to be actively pursuing faithfulness you've got to be actively pursuing uh, maintenance of your membership in other words the works of the law included a certain amount of uh commandments that you had to keep doing and you had to kind of maintain your position in the end, it still amounts to legalism, right? It still amounts to self-effort. It still amounts to um, the flesh. And in the end, it's going to be something that Paul's going to say, you can neither save yourself by your own works, nor can you maintain your salvation by your own works. And of course, Christianity has picked up on that and understands that. Let's keep reading. So, when Paul is uh, combating this line of reasoning from the first century, and we use this word works of the law, this phrase works, or the word law, or works of law, kind of a combination of these things. I think that this tells us that the works of the law is not, quote, abiding by all the things written in the law when he does that. You remember from Galatians 3.10, if I go back and look just briefly, uh, I suppose I shouldn't have um, taken that away. Give me a second. Galatians 3.10. Let's pull up the whole passage again. For those of you in my uh, Skype class, you'll see I've got the ESV pulled up. Galatians 3.10 says, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. Now, isn't this interesting? If according to the Judaisms of Paul's day, keeping the Torah brings a blessing and breaking the Torah brings the curse, well, isn't it very, very strange for Paul to say that all who rely on works of the law are under the curse? So even if he mean, even if works of the law just means keeping the law in general, so for instance, what if Paul said, for all who rely on the law are under a curse, um, then we know then, but Paul can't, can't at a, at a, he cannot at a face value level be referring to the written Torah, because this would run counter to just about everything you read in the Torah, where God says over and over again, for instance, just read the book of Deuteronomy as an example, where God says over and over again to Israel that if you walk in my ways, i.e. if you keep the Torah, it will attract my blessing, not the curses, right? Am I reading that right? If you just even read it from your average um, uh, peripheral view, you know, not even a, a deep theological, uh, you know, exegetical perspective, if you just read through the words on a natural level, uh, even at a, at a kindergarten level, I, I would say, um, the book of Deuteronomy is telling you that if you keep the Torah, you'll be blessed. So how can Paul say all who rely on works of law or all who rely on the law are under a curse, right? It sounds really strange. So this tells us that works of the law, for whatever it meant in Paul's mind, works of the law was actually not abiding by all things written in the law. And that the works of the law actually attract the curse of the law. And that the works of the law do not count as true faith. So sewing these verses together, verses uh, 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 Galatians 3.10 and Galatians 3.12, kind of sticking them together with the glue of, of Galatians 3.11 right here in the middle that we're focusing on. Whatever works of the law was in Paul's mind, it was not working. Whatever works of the law was to the influencers, it was working. At least they thought it was working. 
So that's why we've got the two ideologies going head-to-head against one another. All right, um, so works of the law do not count as true faith, but instead, I say in my commentary, works of the law actually count as self-effort, quote-unquote, self-effort. Uh, so if we, we go back up to Galatians 3.3, 3, we'll see it there. Because the verb justified, dikaiutai, in um, our verse here is parallel to the adjective righteous, dikaios, right? If you go back and look at the verse uh, 11, um, it's evident that no one is justified by God before the law for the, for the righteous, the dikaios, will live by faith. Um, uh, which two words did I say? The... Uh, the, the, the will be justified, dikaiutai, the righteous one. So, in other words, to be righteous is to be justified. To be to be uh, justified is to be righteous. See what I'm saying? Both of them are, are, are statuses that you want to have God to pronounce over you. You want him to say, you are justified. You are righteous. They're two different Greek words. Dikaiutai is justified, and dikaios is righteous. So, they're kind of um, two terms that were both uh, seeking as uh, men. Basically, I think we could paraphrase the verse along these lines. If I could just kind of compare uh, both of these two adjectives, the the dikaiutai and the dikaios. Here's how I see it. Quote, this is my own paraphrase. Clearly no one is declared as righteous before God by a Jewish-only Jewish law commitment because the scriptures have already demonstrated in Abraham and continue to teach in Habakkuk that the person, or continue to teach with Habakkuk, that the person who is declared as righteous by God himself will be justified by that person's genuine faith and will live his life according to such faith. End quote. That's my kind of lengthy paraphrase of Galatians 3.11, where I'm, I'm trying to smash... Uh, the, the verb justified and the ver uh, yeah the verb justified and the adjective righteous kind of smashed them together in this one concept where uh, we who are seeking to be justified we who are seeking to be righteous uh, we we get we 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 uh, uh, run after God and after His Messiah in in an effort to um, attain this status. And uh, I'm trying to put them together what, by understanding that, or explaining that, basically, in the Jewish mindset, it's not faith alone that is enough. James, uh, James is going to go on to explain to us that faith must be accompanied by genuine works or a vindication of faith. And so basically, if I use that example again, it's one coin with two sides. Faith and faithfulness must be struck together. Faith and works, as it were, must be uh, both present in the life of a genuine believer in order for God to declare us as righteous. And so when we talk about what is it that saves us, it is genuine faith, but it's genuine faithfulness that vindicates our genuine faith. And so really from God's perspective, I don't see how, how we can separate the two. Um, yes, it's faith on our part, and it is the righteous that will live by faith, but it is the righteous because of his faith that will go on to live by his faithfulness. And God has designed it so that it will be so. It is in fact God's Holy Spirit that causes us to... Uh, walk out our faith. It is the power of the Spirit that allows us to live a life that is, in fact, in accordance with the faith that we so profess. And any other way to see it, if we try to slice it and dice it and separate our faith from our faithfulness, I think we're doing damage to the full biblical picture. And that's kind of what I'm trying to get at here. And I'm going to say more on that when we get down to Galatians 3, uh, 12, I think, because I'm going to 
I'm, re- I'm going to pick apart this faith and faithfulness and try and get into the mind of Paul a little further when he's when he's trying to wrestle with his uh, detractors, the, the, the opponents of his day, as to which part is really uh, the most prominent, which is the one that should rise to the surface. So let's keep reading. Um, so I think that Paul is basically combating this, again, the whole ethnic notion, what I call the ethnocentric Jewish exclusive view, that the Torah was a document that was given to Israel only at Sinai in Exodus chapter 20, and had, um, by Paul's day, come down to mean that the Torah was for Jews only. Basically, it was a it was a Jewish-only document that could only be walked out and lived out in the life of a Jewish covenant member. And so, thus, in this limited, restricted sense, um, the Torah uh, was the thing that was the duty of a good-standing Jew. It was the privilege, don't get me wrong, it wasn't the burden in their eyes. It was it was the it was the happy privilege. If you go back and read through some of the the, the rabbinic literature, the the, the midrash, uh, the midrashim, the responsa literature, some of the uh, obviously some of the mid the mission of the Talmud and the earlier writings and things like that, you're going to find that far from the, the 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 rabbis describing the Torah as some quote millstone around one's neck end quote the way that later Christian authors do, the rabbis ha- describe the Torah as a happy privilege of the Jewish people. It is the blessing of God to have the words of God within their possession. It was their, um, it was not only their mandate, it was their covenant responsibility, but it was their, it was their joy, the joy. We were, in fact, uh, um, during um, Simchat HaTorah, which is the, uh, one of the final um, celebrations after the festival of Sukkot, the festival of ingathering that we um, the Feast of Booths that we celebrate near the end of the year, uh, every uh, calendar year, near the end of the Jewish year, which is, corresponds to around our, our uh, kind of our fall of the year. Well, we've got the ceremony called Simchat Torah. Simchat Torah is kind of like, we could call this rejoicing in the Torah or the joy of the Torah or the rejoicing of the Torah. Either way, it's a ceremony where if you've ever attended a traditional synagogue or even a Messianic one where we have a Torah scroll, they parade the Torah scroll around the room, right? And people reach out with their tzitzit and they touch the tzitzit and then they kiss the tzitzit or they touch the Torah scroll. Well, they touch the, not the Torah scroll itself, but there's a, there's a case that it's being carried around in. <clears throat> people touch the talit to it or, or something like that. Um, and the idea is that we're, 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 what do we say? We're celebrating the gift of God's words, the gift of God's laws. We're not worshiping the Torah. And if that's what it looks like with you, then you need to have a serious talk with the rabbi. But the point I'm trying to make is the Jewish people have have always seen the Torah as a gift, as a blessing, as a um, as a positive thing within their community. Paul's going to go on to describe that it is something that was handed down through angels, right? Uh, and, and that's not a, a negative thing, that's a positive thing. We're going to read about that a little later on in the book of Galatians. So the point I think that is important for us in our studies as we're reading through the book of Galatians is to understand that Paul didn't have any reason to to suddenly adopt this negative view of the Torah, even though the Jewish people of his day were misusing that gift, even though they were as I call it, hijacking the Torah and making it a Jewish-only document, the Jewish people nevertheless, including Paul, still felt that it was a positive thing to have. And it is either this, this, this possession of the Torah that Paul is, 
is concerned about because his possession of it was was uh, giving them the impression, the Jewish people, that mere possession of it uh, was tantamount to righteousness or the maintenance of it or, and that would be the happy maintenance of it, or the, 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 the seeking to walk into it day by day uh, in hopes that God would count you as righteous. Whatever you want to add there, it's, it kind of all amounts to the same thing. So either that's what Paul is combating or... As I say in my um, in my commentary, the last paragraph, alternately, I we could take it this way, and this is basically the way um, that historic Christianity takes three twelve uh, three eleven. Shaul's statement here in three uh, three eleven is a theological teaching against any mistaken notions that Torah obedience in and of itself automatically granted covenant status to the individual participant, whether Jewish or Gentile. In other words, I go on to say the viewpoint held by historic Christianity and Re- Reformation Paul proponents is not completely off base. In other words, we've got uh, basic traditional Christianity, Reformation Paul teaches that Paul is combating your generic works righteousness, your kind of merit theology, that the uh, notion that the Jews of Paul's day were kind of uh, simplistically or legalistically hoping that keeping the Torah would save them. In other words, there's not any mention of the Jewish ethnicity. There's not any mention of the nationalistic view. It's kind of an individual case-by-case Jew keeps Torah equal salvation concept that Christianity has supposed that Paul is uh, uh, fighting against in his day. And the theology behind their their uh, interpretation of Galatians uh, in this way, their theology wouldn't be wrong because... Um, there, uh, even the traditional Christian view is that works will not save you. Legalism does not amount to salvation. It does not equal salvation. And therefore, you cannot work your way into heaven. No matter how many penance you do, how many steps you climb on your knees, no, how, no many, how many Hail Marys you say, how many rosaries you count, no matter how many um, commandments you keep, you cannot work your way into heaven. And so the, the, the basic uh, message that you're going to hear from your average uh, Christian pulpit as you attend churches around the world today where they're teaching that uh, from the book of Galatians that works righteousness will not amount to salvation. That that, that general message to, to Gentiles is right. It's correct. And I have to agree with that from a theological perspective. So, um, having said all that, uh, uh, basically the Christians would say between his statement and his proof text, and, and I recognize this as well, Christians would recognize that Paul used the conjunction because, hati, to signal the immediately the immediate supporting proof text that would be covenant members, right, would be saved covenant members. They're read here as Gentiles because they're, from the Jewish perspective, they're not yet in the group. They do not walk into Torah submission to gain covenant status. And uh, um, every pastor I've ever um, consulted on on this topic, on these verses, every commentary that I've consulted, they all catch this feature. They understand that Paul's going to use the book of uh, Habakkuk here to prove that the just don't live by works, the just live by faith. And um, again, uh, I have to concede that that is the accurate way to understand the verse from a generic general point of view. But I'm going to continue to champion the, uh, the fact that I believe a more, um, a more sharply defined way to understand Paul's argument is to understand it from what people today reference as the new perspective on Paul, which uh, 
you can pick up this reading from, say, looking at anything that E.P. Sanders has written, or you can pick up any of the books by Jimmy Dunn, James D.G. Dunn, uh, or uh, N.T. Wright. Tom Wright has also done a good job of, of uh, highlighting what the works of law refer to. Um, I myself agree with much of what works, what, what the um, uh, a new perspective on Paul, I'm sorry, sorry, not works of law, but uh, a new perspective on Paul has to say, although I don't agree with all of it. Um, but the point I'm simply trying to, to make for those of you who've been following along with my commentary is I don't believe that it's fair to the Jewish, uh, the Judaisms, and I say that in plural because uh, as far as we can tell, um, there were many different streams of Judaism in the first century and they were not all all generically lumped together as so as to call them one Judaism. Much the way the same, uh, the, the same we have today with um, <clears throat> what we might call today's Christianities, plural, meaning there are many different streams of Christianity today. That although we have some gener- general uh, um, similarities, there are some some sharp differences in the different denominations of Christianity to the point that um, obviously there have been church splits. So the same thing that happened in, in first century Judaism, right? The Essenes split from the mainstreamers, and the the, the and headed on, headed on out into the desert to to uh, live their life the way they felt was the right way to live. Thus, they created their own ergo uh, namu, um, their own works of law. They had their own own halakhic rules for their members, and they felt that if you wanted to be counted among the righteous, in other words, it was kind of an intra-Jewish split. If you wanted to be counted among the really the righteous, 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 then you had to belong to their group. And we have it, the same is no different today. Every Christian group, well, I shouldn't say every Christian group, but there are a, a good number of Christian groups, a significant number in, in my experience, that say if you want to be counted among the really righteous, then you have to belong to our group and you have to come to our church. and You have to, you have to walk out the Bible the way that we describe it and the way we understand it. And not all Christian groups describe it that way. There are some who just say, you know, it doesn't matter on the uh, the sharper points. Just get the big the big rocks right. You know, get the, get focus on what do we say? Uh, don't sweat the small stuff, as we say. So uh, the point I'm trying to make is, I think that there is a more um, there is a sharper way to understand Paul, a more sharply defined way to understand Paul, and I think it's within this uh, this understanding that the Judaisms of his day had kind of broken off along their separate lines. We had the Pharisees over on one side, the Sadducees over on another side, the Essenes over on the other side, the, the Bethusians uh, on one side. And we had all these kind of subsets. We even had the uh, the followers after the way, which were over on one side. So we had all these kind of Judaisms all vying for the attention of the... Uh, they were kind of all kind of, uh, what do we say, competing in the marketplace of ideas when it came to understanding... Uh, one's place in the covenants of God, that would include the Abrahamic covenant as well as the Mosaic covenant, and one's responsibility as an as a covenant member. And so I think that's where Paul is going to have to jump in and say, "Wow, you guys all have your all you all have your own works of the law. You all have your own particular viewpoints of Torah. You all have your own understanding of a covenant membership uh, package deal." Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. But let me tell you what my view is, and then Paul jumps on to the scene with his uh, letters and defines even another way to look at it. And of course, as messianics, I think that Paul is the one that we should be focusing on the most, and the one that we should be modeling our Judaism after the most, because Paul was a disciple of Yeshua, 
And you can't go wrong if you're following after Paul, who's following after Yeshua, right? Isn't that what Paul said? Imitate me as I imitate Christ? I think you can't go wrong if you're imitating the, the, the Messiah. That's the halakha that I want to follow, amen? That's the Judaism that I want to model my life after, is the one that uh, Messiah modeled his life after. So, Okay, that being said, um, we're going to stop here in the commentary, and we'll pick this up next week with Galatians chapter 3, verse 12, which reads, But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. And uh, interestingly enough, Paul doesn't say, but the works of the law are not of faith. He says the law. So this will give me a chance to discuss at length a little bit more uh, some of the, 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 the nuances between Paul using the singular word namas uh, instead of using the word ergon namas like he does uh, quite often. Does he really mean the law or does he mean works of law, just these separate, sec, separate pieces you know, one or two commandments, three or four commandments that have been singled out by the law. In other words, I'm going to kind of throw the gauntlet down to some of my Christian friends and family and even some of my contemporary Messianic Jews. Is Paul really believing, like some people say, that the Jewish people of his day believed that they needed to keep the entire law to be righteous? Or is Paul combating a mistaken notion that some of the Judaisms of his day believed that you needed to keep a select number of laws to be counted as righteous, in other words, circumcision, food laws, and Sabbaths? Or is Paul combating this uh, first century idea prevalent in much of the Judaisms that you don't even really have to keep the law, rather, you simply have to affirm your identity as a good-standing Jew, in other words, keep your place in the covenant um, by not getting kicked out, in other words, steer clear of idolatry, and basically uh, recognize that the Torah is a kind of a trophy given by God to the Jewish people to basically mark them out as different, separate, righteous people, and basically it's this passive possession of Torah, this this kind of um, merely... Uh, acknowledging that the Torah is ours. It's kind of this badge, this trophy, this, this, um, n this name tag placed on our, on our lapel that, uh, uh, in other words, it's kind of a uniform that's seen on the outside, just much like a badge is seen on the outside of the uniform of a, of a, of a policeman or something like that. And it identifies you just by looking at the badge. You can tell that, hey, this, is a dis this, this marks me out as a person of the law. Uh, uh, in other words, uh, uh, to use the policeman analogy, this is this is when you see the badge, you know that this is my my identification marker, and it's it's the I mean I can just flash the badge, right? We've seen this in the movies, right? Show me the badge. Uh, hi, we're here from the CIA. Hi, we're here from the FBI. Hi, we're here from the police. And what do you do? You flip, you, you you whip out the badge. It's kind of the same concept going on in Judaism of Paul's day. If that, if, if if in case that that is uh, what Paul's combating, is that what he's talking about? When he says the law is not a faith, in other words, there are some Jewish people today who think that you don't even really have to do a lot, maybe much like in Paul's day. It was just the mere possession of the law that, that, that gave you this idea that you were counted among the righteous. So we're going to kind of work through those nuances next week as we begin to dig into 3.12. And I can promise you 3.12 is going to be a lot more technical than 3.11. Uh, because, um, as I see it, there's several nuances going on in the passage, and it's not easily understood from my perspective. Okay, that's going to do it for tonight. Let's close in prayer. Those of you who are with me in the live study, stay with me. We'll go ahead and discuss uh, anything you'd like to talk about in the live chat. Okay, let's pray. 
Abba, I bless your name, and I thank you for the opportunity to share with the students the things that uh, you've laid on my heart. Father, I pray that you'll continue to help me to press in and to know your words and continue to seek your face as I seek a righteous relationship with you through your son, Yeshua, the Messiah. I thank you that you, Lord, are the one who has declared me righteous. You are the one who has drawn me close to yourself. You are the one, as Yeshua has said, has has um, called me. Like Yeshua said, no one comes unto the Father unless the Father draws him. You are the one who has drawn me close. You are the one who has opened my eyes. And you are the one who has uh, given me the faith that I need to uh, lay hold of Messiah. Yes, it is I who has done it, but it is you who has done it within me. It's this, this paradox that I can't explain. It is you in me causing me to live righteous. It is your Holy Spirit in me that, that uh, urges me on, that empowers me to, to live a life that's pleasing to you. And so I thank you, Lord, that, that you have given your words to us, that you have uh, preserved them for us down through the ages, and that we are able to study them today like we are doing right now. Help us to go along with a sense of direction, a sense of purpose, a sense of knowing that um, we are doing the Father's work here on earth, that we are ambassadors, that we are lights, that we are to be salt, that we are to be a witness, and that um, uh, that it is not a life that is particularly a rose garden, but it is a life of challenge. It's a life of um, struggle sometimes. It's a life of, it's definitely a life of um, of resistance from the adversary because uh, as we make headway for the kingdom of God, he's going to resist us. And so it behooves us to put on the armor of God so that we can withstand the attacks, the fiery darts of the adversary. So bless us, Lord, as we uh, continue to live for you. And we'll be careful to give you the praise and the glory and all of these things. Amen. That concludes our show for today. It is my desire that this continuing series of teachings will assist the average non-Jewish believer or new Messianic Jewish believer in his desire to become a more mature child of God. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth, and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your forefathers and loved them. And he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations, as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. Because the Torah is written on the hearts of all who truly name the name of Yeshua as Lord and Savior, it is meant to be followed to the best of our ability. We have no reason for fear of condemnation or the trappings of legalism. My name is Ariel Ben Lyman Hanavi. The intro and outro song were written, produced, and performed by Ryan Kingsley. For more information on contacting Ryan, you can reach me by email at yeshua613 at hotmail.com. That's Y E S H U A number 613 at hotmail.com. Or visit our website at graftedin.com. That's graftedin.com. <laughs>